0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Why why do I leave uh, medicine and take up politics? Actually, it's the other way around. I went into politics when I was in school. I was a leader of a group in school. Uh, very concerned about the Malay Union. Uh, We were campaigning, we were doing a lot of things, but who would take seriously a school board? Nobody took me seriously. So I decided that I must have something to make people believe in what I say. And the easiest thing, of course, is to get a university education to become a doctor or a lawyer. In fact, I wanted to become a lawyer. But I didn't get a scholarship to study law. I got a scholarship to study medicine. I know I wasn't going to reject that. I studied medicine. I came back as a doctor. And I had more credi- credibility. As a doctor, uh, people tend to believe more in what I, I said. So it's the other way around. It's oh. a politician who wanted to become uh, a credible p- politician, but needs to have something to latch on. And I thought that university education would um, make people think of me seriously. So that that is the real story. I was in politics in school. I couldn't be a doctor at that time.
0: Oh, OK. So, but you were a very successful physician. You were having your own practice. You had a, you build a house. You even had a chauffeur at those days. And then, in, in the midst of it all, you decided to quit and move into politics. So, basically, it's, you're saying it's a lifelong dream from day one?
1: Well, when I was practicing as a doctor, I was quite popular, quite successful. And then, popularity and success. Uh, make people think that I should uh, do something about the politics okay. and I also was inclined that way so okay I joined UM. I was among the first uh, to join AMNO. and then of course that took up most of my time uh, I, I had to accept that I cannot be a successful doctor at the same time a successful politician I have to make some sacrifices. And I decided that the future lies in politics, not in medicine. Medicine, I can practice uh, at any time. At least that was what I thought. But I know now that I cannot practice. Uh, I have lost touch. But uh, as a politician, I think uh, I have been also uh, equally successful. As when I was a doctor.
0: Yes, you have actually. So, how did Toon City, uh, Doctor Hasma, take the news? Or oh, she always knew that you know you always wanted to switch careers, and being a doctor was just on the sideline. Did she? Or did she always know know that? Or?
1: Well, she. I, I. don't confide in her. Mm-hmm. My. My feelings, my ambition, my plan. But she is uh, very tolerant, and she realized that uh, I was interested in politics. She did not stand in the way. Uh, she supported me uh, when I went into politics. Uh, you can see her going w- with me to almost every campaign that I was doing at those time. So she was no obstruction to my wish to uh, progress in politics.
0: Okay, awesome. So, when you entered into politics, was being a prime minister always the end goal, or was it just, you know, for the
1: greater <laughs> good? No, I never thought I would be the PM. I mean, the PM in come from elite families, well-known families, uh, not ordinary person. My father was a school teacher, and, uh, and I was very low in the estimate of of people. But uh, people seem to accept my argument. And uh, they begin to ask me to talk. And I get better exposure. And uh, I think, uh, somehow or other, Tun Razak seemed impressed. Tun Razak has always been uh, close to young people. Many of the people who were around Tun Razak were young people. About my age, and see, so uh, he, I think, he thought that uh, I should be a minister. Hmm. You, you know, when when they uh, decided to have the election in nineteen sixty nine, uh, I lost. But even though I lost, I was still appointed by Raza as advisor to the Minister of Education. I am quite sure that at I won. I would have been Minister of Education. So I suppose um, my ability to uh, gain popularity, to talk to people, to explain things, uh, people always remark that I use simple language which people can understand. And uh, I think in a way, I must have uh, made an impression on Raza to the point where he was willing to uh, do something for me. Hmm.
0: Okay. So um, what are some of the best perks of being the prime minister? So, like in the US, do you get briefed a lot of the country's secrets before you take the job? Or what are the, the best things, like you know, because you had two careers, one is a physician, and the next one is I think politician, PM.
1: Hmm. Long long ago, before I was uh, a doctor, before I was a uh, uh, politician, I realized that people do not like pushy people, people who want to promote themselves, are always uh, uh, telling people about who they are and all that. So one of the things I did when I became Minister of Education was to tell the staff not to use my name for any school, before that, every minister had their names given to schools. Khair even had his wife's name. I told them, no, using you cannot use my name for schools, for roads or whatever. And I don't want you to put my pictures up. Because I thought that that would give the impression that I was promoting myself. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to see that because I think that would be more acceptable to people than if you push yourself too much. Uh, A lot of people complain about, oh, this man is uh, trying to uh, get something for himself. I wanted to show that I did not want to get anything for myself. I want to do work. But strangely, that made me more popular.
0: That's good. So, you kind of rejected all the perks that came with the
1: job. Is that right? Yes, I I didn't ask for anything. For example, you know, when the Prime Minister retires, they gave him lots of money. They came to see me when I was about to retire and offer me land in Putrajaya. I told them, I, I don't want. I don't want any free gifts. But if you want to sell the land to me, I will buy. And I bought. I didn't get any free land. I didn't get a cent uh, as a, a gift because of my service and all that. And yet uh, for Najib, uh, they want to offer him $100 million. For what? Abdullah got $70 million. Yet before that, I got nothing. But I didn't tell people. When I rejected all gifts, I didn't tell people. I thought that telling people is also a way of promoting yourself.
0: Okay, that's very good, Tun. So, Tun, like I said, you are very successful. In Wikipedia, they say you're a very successful doctor. But were you happy with your salary as a prime minister in comparison to your Singaporean counterpart? Because he gets about $2 million a year and yours only is like 60000 usd a year so around 20000 a month it's really really low and you know in comparison to some sydney executives they get more so what was your what is your take on the salary
1: i thought i was being well paid as a private practitioner i was making 2000 dollars a month when i became prime minister there's, the salary was 8000 a month. Four times what I made as a private practitioner. Over the years, the salary was increased. At the time when I retired, I was getting 20000 a month. Mm-hmm. And I didn't use a single cent of that. I didn't use any of the salary because the government provides me with a house, paid for my electricity bill, water bill, provided me with transport, with car, cars and all that, and even aeroplanes. I don't have to spend any money. The only money I have to spend is for food. But mm. how much is that? Mm. So I, I saved all my salary, and I thought that I was very well paid <laughs> by comparison to executives in the private sector. Mm. I know one executive who was paid, 180,000 a month. And you know what he did? He cheated. Mm -hmm. After getting that kind of money, he still cheated. When I asked uh, the boss, why do you pay such a high salary? Or he said, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Mm -hmm. That's his answer. But I I was paid only 20,000, and I thought that I was very well.
0: Okay, so you were basically happy with it, very happy with it.
1: I was very happy.
0: Awesome. Awesome, Tun. So I was, before your retirement, your first retirement in 2003, in public events, which I have attended as a news reporter, I've heard you mention in speeches that, you know, you won't see through Wawasan 2020 because by then you had retired, right? But fate would have had it that you became the Prime Minister again in 2018, and, you know, on a very short period in 2020. So I just was curious, like, how did you feel during those months? Did you feel surreal, like, in shock, like, you know, disbelief that I got this job the second time around?
1: Yeah, I got the second uh, the job the second time around because of Najib. Because he was so bad that people want to reject him. And I appear to be a prominent ex-Malay leader. And they need a, Mal- a Malay because Najib was uh, using um, UMNO, a Malay party, to win election. So they need a Malay party to defeat him. And the focus was on Najib, not on me. Of course, uh, I had a uh, uh, fairly good reputation during the period 22 years I was prime minister. So they they need to have a Malay leader, and it's very convenient. I, I was there, and they said that we will appoint you as uh, our potential prime minister. And that was what won the, uh, the, the election for PH. PH won because I was a Malay leader. Uh, the others were not Malays. In the opposition was almost all non-Malay, very few Malays. Although Anwar was there, but Anwar was not regarded as a Malay leader. And so when I came in, I brought in the Malay vote, not only for myself, but also for DAP and others. Of the Malay votes, made the difference. Okay,
0: so you didn't feel like in the shock when you were. You're supposed to be, you know, Wawasan 2020 was your vision and you were preempted. How did you feel like, you know, during those three months? Like, were you in disbelief?
1: Well, I was disappointed in the action taken by the fifth and sixth prime minister with regard to Vision 2020. They appear to have discarded or disregarded it, they didn't put any effort. So I thought that if uh, when the opportunity came and people proposed me as the uh, future prime minister, I thought I would be able to continue the job. And I thought it is, it is doable. Uh, I have already worked out how to achieve it when I was still prime minister first time. So I thought that all you have to do is to continue with the policy, maybe some changes, and the, the objective would be uh, met. But somehow or other, they changed. Uh, Abdullah was uh, more concerned about his family, his children, and Najib, of course, it was fantastic that the Prime Minister of Malaysia should be known to the whole world as a group who has stolen money. I mean, even Malaysians who are uh, not concerned with politics didn't want him.
0: Okay, no So tell me, Among um, you've been a Prime Minister about 24 years, uh, with both the rounds. So what is the most memorable moment from your time as a Malaysia PM? Like, you know, one thing that really stood out for you? Well,
1: during the period I was for the first time as Prime Minister, there were things that I had always thought of doing. And as a prime minister, I was able to do it. For example, the North-South Highway. Mm -hmm. It's an old idea. Uh, People thought about it, but they say we don't have the money. Mm -hmm. So we resolved the financial problem and we built the North-South Highway. And of course, uh, there were other uh, infrastructure things which the country needed. And uh, I somehow managed to get uh, all those infrastructure done uh, despite the fact that we didn't have much money we spent very little money uh, for the infrastructures
0: okay so that is your proudest moment building yeah. the oh okay thank you yeah. so uh, more malays are now migrating out of Malaysia it used to be Chinese and Indians but the Malays are now following suit. So Tun what do you make out of this
1: Wait, pardon?
0: What do you make out of more Malays moving, uh, migrating out of
1: Malaysia? Yeah, this, is, this never happened before. Malays were comfortable living in Malaysia. They don't want to go into a strange place. But uh, I think they felt the pressure. During Najib's time, some of my own relatives migrated to Australia. Mm-hmm. There, they, they work as farmers, you know. They were growing uh, strawberries and selling, and they were prepared to do hard work. But in Malaysia, they wouldn't do that. So uh, this is a new thing where Malays uh, will settle in foreign countries and also do well. We have a person in London, several in London who are permanent residents there, also in California, and in Australia, of course. So the Malays are changing. Hmm. They no longer seek the comfort of their own country, partly because their own country does not provide the comfort. Okay. They find that they are much more comfortable in Australia where they can do a lot of things. And uh, they are more free
0: hmm.
1: in Australia, in America, in Europe and all that
0: than in Malaysia. Awesome, So, um, just bring you back to the Bumi Putra rights. You know, it's a quite a sensitive issue, but I wanted to ask you, um, Malays and the indigenous community in Malaysia, they get special rights, you see. So, but now that, you know, a lot of Malays are moving away from Malaysia, and you know, going into like countries like Australia, like US and UK, do you think the government of today should actually skew the, the policy <laughs> to reflect modern times or just leave it as it is, you know?
1: But the majority of the Malays are still in the country. They are still the poorest section of the government. You know, the history of socialism, it was due to the disparity in the income of the have against the have-nots. They are of the same race. People, they are English people, same race, but because of the difference, disparity in income, they broke up and they had the Industrial Revolution and the creation of trade unions to protect the, the uh, low-income people. But it happened in a single ethnic uh, country. So there is no, ethnic-wise, ethnic wise, there is no difference between the haves and the haves. In Malaysia, there is a distinct uh, uh, rel- relation to race. We find that the Chinese, despite the obstruction during the British time, actually, the Chinese were prevented from doing business. Not many people know that, but I know. Everything that is worthwhile is done by the British. The British have got the uh, uh, crown agents to supply the government with everything. No Chinese can do that. The Chinese cannot have big estates. The Chinese cannot have big business. All that goes to Mansfield and other British companies. So when we became independent, we removed all those as, as uh, obstruction. And the Chinese suddenly uh, grew at a very fast rate. You can see that this is borne by the facts, you see. And they outstripped the Malays. The Malays are left far behind because Malays are peasants. They are not business people. They don't even keep account of, of anything. You see, so they were far left behind. So we need to help them catch up. You can say that well, we have, we we have all the poor people, but if you do that, the Chinese poor would be able to uh, become rich very quickly. The Malay poor will still remain poor. This is something that I observe. So that is why we have the new economic policy during Razak's time, and. Uh, we decided that we had to do something for the Malays. Hmm. Uh, But the Malays let let us down very badly. Uh, What we do for them uh, actually benefited the Chinese. For example, if we give a contract to a Malay, uh, he does not have any ability, no money. He's not able to make use of the contract. He sells it to a Chinese who can carry out. And you find that the Chinese uh, construction industry, for example, grew very fast during the time when Malaysia was ruled, basically it was ruled by Malays.
0: But do you think that the the whole policy needs to have a relook or like a a refreshed look? Because,
1: you know... Yeah, we have to relook at the abusers. Uh, For example, when we give them a contract and they sell it off, we have to nullify that. In fact, we have launched that new project uh, when I was uh, a second-time prime minister. If you get a contract or you get a license, if you sell it to a non-Malay, we take back the license. So you cannot sell it. You have to do it yourself. If you cannot do it, you may sell to another place. But uh, abusers like uh, selling APs. Mm -hmm. You know, we give APs to import second-hand cars from Japan. Mm -hmm. They take the APs, uh, 10 10 APs a month. They were selling at $8,000 for the AP. So they were very comfortable with that. You finish the 10 cars, you get another 10. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so, all right, Tun, that is all the time that we have today because your office gave me 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I am so happy to see you and I hope you're well right now. Are you better?
1: I am very much better. I think I can still still answer (laughs) your question.
0: Awesome, Tun, you're great. And you're one of, you know, I admire you very much. I want to show you this picture of my father and you.
1: Oh, I see. No, not very clear.
0: Not clear. Okay, I I I will email it to you, and I will put it in the article as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Thank you, Tun. Assalamualaikum. Thank you.
1: Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye.